Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Anderson family, welcome everybody across the state. If we haven't met yet, my name's Finn. It's amazing to, to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm from the UK originally. Uh, my wife is from here. We moved uh, to the United States, to South Carolina in 2018, uh, primarily to be a part of what God is doing here at New Spring Church. We really felt that this was the place that God had for us. This was the family he wanted us to be a part of. Uh, and secondarily, the weather is better than the UK and the chicken is more tender. And so that's uh, a real gift to me. Um, and I'm just so excited really to be with you this morning. Would you pray with me all across the state, New Spring? Let's just pray together and ask God to do what only he can do through his word this morning. Father, we love you. Jesus, you are everything to this community. We want to be a people that walk in step every single day with what you're doing. And so, God, I pray that your word would accomplish more than I can do, more than my preparation, more than my prayer. God, your word would ignite in people's hearts a fire and a desire to know and love you for the rest of their lives. God, thank you for the chance to be together. We bless your name. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I want to tell you a little story. Some of you have heard this uh, maybe in history growing up, but I want to take us even further back. And so in 55 BC, 55 BC, Julius Caesar, who was the military commander of Rome at the time, set sail uh, to conquer a new landmass. He set sail to conquer Britain. Uh, and that's where I'm from. I wasn't there, but I heard it went well. And so Julius Caesar set sail to conquer this, this uh nation, this landmass called Britain, and he set sail with a, a fleet of ships and soldiers and supplies ready to go and conquer. And as he arrives on the shore of Britain, it's cold and wet and windy like it always is, and he sees something that he wasn't ready to expect. All across the, the shorelines of Dover, he sees Celts, blue face paint, gold uh, jewelry, swords and spears, short swords and spears, that's quite a tricky one, swords and spears, ready to defend the land that they knew was theirs. Caesar and his men sailed a little bit down the coastline, and as they got to a piece of a beach, they landed, they climb out, and again are met with an army of Britons ready to fight for what is theirs. Now, Rome at the time was a military superpower. It was used to nations just walking over and saying, here's the keys to our land, here's all the treasure, you, you run this place. But the Britons were ready to fight for something that was theirs. Caesar sensed the unease in his men. He sensed that there was fear and there was trepidation. And so being the commander that he was, he turned to some centurions and said, we're going to burn these ships. And they lit the ships on fire so that the only way to go was forward. The only way to move was to advance. Burning the ships created in the soldiers a sense of energy and excitement and passion. And they moved forward and eventually, after multiple attempts, conquered Britain. Now, I'm not Caesar, you're not soldiers, and we're not in a war. But this morning, I want to create a vision for discipleship for you that is so compelling and so urgent and so real and so tenacious that you resolve this morning to burn your ship, that you resolve this morning to say, whatever my following of Jesus has looked like before now, I'm not going back to the way things were. I am changing my paradigm, I'm burning my ship, and I'm setting sail to a new, I'm, I'm moving forward in a new direction, and I'm not going back to the way things were. Maybe the ship was comfort, maybe the ship was uh, religion, maybe the ship was kind of a Sunday-only paradigm of following Christ, but this morning, as God's word is preached and God's spirit moved, you're going to resolve, some of you, to burn your ship, and your life will be different from this moment forward. 
And if that sounds strong to you, I want you to consider the words of Jesus in Luke 9, chapter 20, uh, verse 23 and 24. He says this, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, it's going to be a key word for us this morning, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, that's where they will find true life. What does Jesus want us to follow him into? What kind of life would Christ have for us where the cost would be so high that it would feel like we have lost our lives? It would feel like we have taken up a cross to follow him where it would require us to burn our ship. What kind of life is that? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it like this, that we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, the unveiling of your face. This is this moment of salvation. And this morning I'm going to call you into discipleship, but I cannot call you into discipleship until we begin with the moment that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, that he tore the veil that separates God and man. And, and for those of us that are Christians this morning, that's our reality. That unveiling of our face, seeing Jesus Christ as he says, as he is who he says he is, seeing him as God, recognizing him as Lord, that begun a glorious transformation. Romans 8, 29 says it like this, for those he foreknew, he also predestined, that they would be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The British preacher Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this particular passage of scripture, says this, this is beautiful. God was so well pleased with his son and saw such beauties in him that he determined to multiply his image. The face of Jesus is more lovely to God the Father than all the worlds. His eyes are brighter than the stars. His voice is sweeter than bliss. Therefore, does the Father will to have his son's beauty reflected in 10,000 mirrors in saints made to be like him. That's your destiny. In what way could the Father put greater honor on the son than by forming a race like himself. That's your destiny. You were foreknown and predestined. Your face was unveiled that you might become the image of Christ. Every single human being was made in God's image, created with inherent dignity and value and worth. And sin splinters that and it fractures that and it breaks our relationship with God and it breaks our relationship with one another. And so God because he has determined to put the beauty of Jesus in a race like himself, sends Christ to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves so that we might once again be formed into the image of the Son. You were made in the image of God, reborn, that you might be formed into the image of Christ. How does that kind of transformation take place? It will require everything. Jesus said, Luke 9, it will require you denying yourself daily, taking up a cross, and following him. That is why, in this season of our church right now, and in the moment that we're in, coming out of all the 2020, 2021, and maybe even the last 10 to 15 years, maybe since the birth of the internet, we would, as a family together at New Spring Church, start to ask, is this what it's all about, and what more can we be doing to be faithful to the words of Christ? 
And so if we want to call everyone into discipleship, we would make that kind of proclamation that Jesus made in Luke 9. And that's why in this moment in New Springs history, all that we've been through, all that we've seen, all that we expect God to do, we would declare over all of our campuses, 14 locations, that we want to equip and see everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Why? Because that's the most faithful call to discipleship that we can give according to the scriptures. We want you to have an everyday relationship with Jesus. This is the only terms that he offers. This is the only thing he puts on the table. He doesn't give followers and disciples any other option. We can't negotiate. And listen to me. Some of you have been negotiating the terms of your surrender, and Jesus is not at the negotiation table. He's not. We bought a house in March 2020, and it was a, a great financial decision. That was all my wife. That was not me. I do words. She does maths. And so we're there, and we put an offer in at this house, and we put in an offer, and the, and the owner of the house said, it's going to cost you this much. And we being good first-time owners, say, well, will you take this much? And he says, no, it's this much. And we said, oh, maybe a few thousand more, maybe this much. No, it's going to cost you this much. Okay, but can you scrape this off and this out? Can you do this? And it's going to cost you this much. And some of us are desperately asking Jesus to reduce the terms of surrender, and he doesn't. That's not what he does. He says, if you're going to follow me, it will be like a cross and it will be every single day. And listen to me, there is unspeakable joy and riches and glory and life on the other end of that invitation. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. But if you try and hold on, you will find yourself always, always searching for something more. There was a group of people that fiercely understood this in the 1700s. This group was called the Moravians. Uh, along with the Royal Danish Mission College, they were the first large-scale Protestant missionary movement. Get this, they were the first group to send lay people rather than clergies as missionaries. Uh, they, would, they would send people who were ordinary, not ordained, not priests. And that's something like, when we say things like, uh, we're going to send church planters and families that are going to go, that's because we believe that all of us are a priesthood of believers together. That this stage might help you see me better, but there's nothing different between my life with God and yours. That we're called to be a people on mission, and the Moravians understood that. They were the first Protestant denomination to minister to slaves. And there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened in the 1700s. Uh, a man named Count Zinzeldorf brought people together, and God poured out his spirit, and there was prayer and intercession. And out of this place of outpouring, mission began to spring out across the world. In 1732, five years after that initial outpouring of the Spirit, two Moravian tradesmen, not priests, not clergy, tradesmen, HVAC workers, electricians, those who were used to working with their hands, 36-year-old David Nitschmann and 26-year-old Johann Leonard Dober became the first missionaries to leave Henhurt, Germany, where the outpouring had begun. They had heard of the plight of African slaves on the island of St. Thomas in the Caribbean, and they knew that there was spiritual hunger there, but there was no one to share the gospel with them. So they determined that they would go, that they would go and reach these slaves, and they realized that the only way that they would be able to do that is to sell themselves into slavery. They sold themselves into slavery that they might reach the slave population. And as they were on the ship, 
sailing away from everything that they'd known, sailing away from comfort, sailing away from their families, sailing away from this amazing thing that God had done with some brothers and sisters there, recognizing that they would never see them again, but they took Jesus' words so seriously. These two tradesmen raised their fists and with a loud voice cried out, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They sold themselves into slavery and they counted it as worship because what Christ had done. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering through our sacrifice. Listen, all across our locations, online, look at me in the face right now. The manifestation might be different, but the cost of discipleship is still exactly the same. An everyday relationship will cost you everything. Everything. All of your life. It will cost you discomfort. It will cost you attitude changes. It will cost you time. It will cost you money. God's presence and reality will invade your life and you will not be able to contain it if you truly say yes to this call of discipleship. And for some of you, this will be too much. And that's okay. But for some of you right now, the Spirit of God is passing you a torch and saying, burn that ship. Burn it. Come with me into this life of adventure. Come with me into the kingdom realities that I've got for you. What does this everyday relationship mean? Well, last week, Brad talked all about it. It's this idea of living an upward and inward and outward lifestyle that we live with the awareness of the power and presence of God every single day, that we would commit ourselves towards transformation and newness, and we would allow the Spirit of God to transform our inner world, that we might live wherever we go, bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, that that would be the kind of lifestyle that we would live. And listen, that would be an extraordinary apologetic for the world we live in right now. If there were a people who had resolved to live towards God with love in their hearts for him, there was a people who had decided that they were going to take personal ownership and responsibility for transformation in their own lives. And if there was a people that said, wherever I go, the kingdom's coming. And I'm going to bring it in the school pickup line. I'm going to bring it in the boardroom. I'm going to bring it around the kitchen table. I am going to be the presence of God everywhere around me. That would transform a nation. That would shift a culture. Dr. Robert Mulholland Jr., who was a, president of, uh, a professor of New Testament theology at Asbury Theological Seminary, says it like this, and it's, it's captivating to me. The life hidden with Christ in God is one of such growing union with God in love that God's presence becomes the context of our daily lives. God's purposes become the matrix of our activities. The values of God's kingdom shape our lives and relationships. God's living presence becomes the ground of our identity, the source of our meaning, the seat of our value, and the center of our purpose. An everyday relationship will consume everything. And if that sounds high to you and lofty and impossible, that might be because you're living with a paradigm that God wants to shatter this morning, which is God lives here in a New Spring Auditorium, and then when I pick up my kids from Kids Spring and drive out, that's my real life. And I'm telling you this morning, that's not what the Scriptures teach. Colossians 1.27 says it like this. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place that Christ lives. He doesn't live in New Spring auditoriums. He doesn't live in buildings made of human hands. He lives in you. Therefore, him we proclaim, warning everyone, there's that word again, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Pastor Brad said it this way last week, that we want to see as many people as possible as mature in Christ as possible. What does mature in Christ mean? Does that mean you've grasped uh, the the concepts of theology and you understand soteriology and, and predestination and you know exactly where you stand theologically? Maybe. Does it mean that you've given lots and lots of money to New Spring Church and you feel like you and God are good? Maybe. But when a young man came to Jesus and asked him, teacher, what does God require of me? Jesus gave a definition of maturity that is so important for us. In Matthew 22, Jesus said it like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is Jesus' definition of maturity. Jesus defines maturity as becoming people of love. Jesus says you're going to live this kind of life where you love God with everything that you are, all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. You live with a a desire and a love for God that is so compelling and so rich and so real and so present that you would find yourself being able to love your neighbor, the neighbor that looks like you, the neighbor that doesn't look like you. The neighbor that votes like you and the neighbor that believes completely differently to you. The neighbor you find very easy to love and the neighbor you find extremely difficult to love. You would love them as you love yourself. And that's not self-help, that's not moralism. That's a becoming a person of wholeness. A person who's able to give and receive love. A person who's willing to say, I'm going to deal with the wounds of my past, the trauma of my present, that I might step into the future that God has for me. I will live loving God, loving myself, and loving the world around me. That's maturity in the Christian life. Okay, time out. Some of you came for some Super Bowl jokes and a Valentine's Day message, and you were not ready for the lamb receiving the reward of his suffering. That's a lot. Okay? So, deep breath. For the rest of our time together, we're going to unpack what does it mean to start a journey of becoming mature in Christ. Some of you know exactly where you are on this journey. Some of you, this feels very disorientating. I want to help you get on the same page. And as I've observed the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, and as I've pastored and, and, and been a Christian now for 30 years, it feels like for 30 years this message has been bubbling up in me. And I recognize that maturity comes by a certain group of ingredients. And so if you've got a, if you're taking notes, if you're on the New Spring app, if you're going to write anything down, I would ask you just to write this down and consider this. I believe that maturity is formed by intentionality over time through the power of the Holy Spirit. Maturity will take intentionality over time through the power of of the Holy Spirit. For the rest of our time together, we're gonna unpack what do those ingredients look like. First of all, intentionality. Intentionality means taking personal responsibility for your everyday relationship with Jesus. Now listen, your Bible might fall open when you knock it off the nightstand. That's not reading your Bible. 
You may skip meals because you're busy at work or you're raising kids or all that sort of stuff. That's great. That's not fasting. We have to take a personal ownership and responsibility of our walk with Christ. Now, some of you big grace people checked out already. Don't want to know. It's all Jesus. It's not me. But let's consider these words from Dallas Willard. The path of spiritual growth in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You have never seen a people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Paul, who understood grace perhaps more than any other human being, looked back on what had happened to him and said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. That was 1 Corinthians 15 he was quoting there. You will not stumble into Christ-likeness. You will not simply trip and fall into it. There is no formation without repetition. You will have to do this again and again and again. And listen, the world is forming you. Culture is forming you. The decisions you're making are forming you. And so we have to be a people that commit ourselves to formation intentionally. That's why we would partner with the Bible Recap and ask you, hey, read your Bible every single day with us. And we would provide tools and resources to help you comprehend the Bible. That's why we would commit to consecrating the first part of our year towards God in prayer, in 21 days of prayer, which we've just finished. Listen, there are opportunities all across the state for you to be equipped in intentionality. Listen, I'm going to throw a few at you right now, but after this service, your campus pastor or discipleship director or someone hosting is going to come out and tell you, here's how you can take responsibility this week. Every single week at New Spring Church, we do Connect, which helps you take a step into family. There's a prayer gathering in Florence tonight. In Greenwood on Friday mornings, Matt Alley teaches a Bible study. Men of Greenwood, he would love to see you there. Spartanburg, men on Tuesday night and on Friday morning, Drew Hankins has a Bible study. It's amazing. You should go and be a part of it. There are classes happening in Columbia at the 11.15. There's still room. You can learn how to read your Bible. You can press into the things of God. You can be equipped. In Lake Wiley, all of our groups are about to go through curriculum, learning how to develop and grow a life of prayer. All of these environments want to equip you to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, but they cannot do it for you. You will have to make that choice. You will have to make that decision, and you'll have to commit to it over time, because in time, we recognize that all relationships grow and flourish over time. And so if we want to become people of maturity, people of love, we have to take our intentionality and commit to it over a portion of time. Time doesn't always equal maturity, but we can never mature without following Jesus over time. Some of you have been Christians for a very long time. And if I can just provoke you for a second, some of you are still on spiritual milk. You're still in the shallow end. And God has more for you. And it's not too late to take ownership of your everyday relationship with God and say, I'm going to grow. I'm going to transition to solid food. I am going to take ownership of my life with God. Some of us, brand new Christians, few students, rally students, just growing up in the things of God, starting to learn all about him. That's amazing. Keep going. You're learning so many things about the kingdom of God right now. But listen, time will be necessary in your everyday relationship because in time you will experience suffering. In time, you will experience suffering. Romans 5 gives us a piece of how we can view that. 
says it like this. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Only Christians can say that. Only Christians have the blueprint to be able to say, I can translate pain and suffering and make it meaningful. Because I know that suffering produces endurance, which I'll need for an everyday journey. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope will not put me to shame. Because God's love, what a truth, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Your suffering is unscheduled. You cannot put suffering in your, I almost said diary, in your calendar or your schedule and say, okay, on Tuesday I'm going to suffer and then it'll be done by Wednesday morning and that will have helped me grow a little bit. You can't do that. You don't know when the report's coming. You don't know when the pain is going to arrive. I'm surrounded by it right now. There are people who I, who I love and care for and I've prayed for their illnesses and their illnesses do not seem to be going anywhere. I find in my own life there are things that I'm like, God, I thought I'd, I thought I'd graduated past that. I thought that was no longer an issue in my life and yet it's still there. All around you are people who are walking through pain that you know nothing about. But if as the people of God we allow the Spirit of God to renew and change our minds about pain we can realize that this is part of our formation too, that God will use it. And I have found in my life that the moments of highest pain and the moments of greatest loneliness and the moments where I have made decisions that have harmed me and harmed others, those are the moments where I have found the kingdom of God readily active, available to me. And I might not have been able to see it in the moment, but as I look back, I wouldn't trade it for anything because I know God was with me there. And you might not know what that was like for me, but God was with me there. And it's treasure that I bring into my life right now. As we close together right now, there is a final piece that is so, so important for us to mature in our everyday relationship with God, to become a people of love. It's that it is impossible to just do intentionality over time, that's religion. But what changes that from being hollow and broken is that recognizing that this gets activated and empowered and brought to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might live a fully surrendered life before him. Colossians 1.29, which we read just a little bit ago, says it like this. For this I toil, that's that intentionality, that's that work, that's that effort, that personal responsibility that I'm taking with all of his power that he works within me. That word power there is the Greek word dynamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Paul uses it when he says, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And it is impossible to live the everyday relationship with God without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Not simply just believing in him as a theological truth, and not simply affirming certain things about him, but living surrendered to him, walking in his ways, listening for his voice, taking uh, the pieces of your life and putting them before him and saying, Holy Spirit, I'm going to let you tell me how I live. I'm going to let you make sense of this. I'm going to let your voice Go louder than the voice of the world. I'm going to let your truth and your reality govern the way that I live my everyday life. And as we do this, we will realize we step into a place 
where we're living in greater degrees of surrender every single day. And I've found that surrender is the metric of maturity. That when you and I surrender, that is where there's places of active lordship of Christ in our lives. It's in those places that we start to become mature. That doesn't make us spiritual giants. That doesn't make us sort of this huge lofty thing. It just means that we've decided that every single place of our life, our finances, our marriages, our thoughts, our attitudes, our belief systems, our everyday world gets wrapped up and then placed under the Lordship of Christ. And we say, God, I'm in. I'm going to burn my ship. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do whenever you tell me to do it. I'm going to commit to intentionality in your word and prayer every single day. I'm going to take the opportunities that this church puts before me and I'm going to say yes to them. Even though it might be inconvenient, even though I might have to find a babysitter, even though I might have to be a little bit rushed, I'm going to say yes because I've got the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And that's above comfort. And that's above religion. And that's above complacency. That's the only way to live, Jesus says. It's the only way to be his disciple. It's the only way to follow him. And he's going to help us do that. He's going to take our loaves and fishes of intentionality, Bible reading that we don't fully understand sometimes. And if we just commit to it over time, and we say, God, I'm showing up every single day, the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence, and his reality, and his, his word, and his voice, and, his, and it, the way he speaks will suddenly transform our everyday lives. And we'll find ourselves living in the power and presence of God in ways that we could never have imagined, in ways that religion has no template for, in the ways that our culture doesn't understand. And then so this morning, the call goes out. Will anyone burn their ship? If anyone would be my disciple, Jesus said, he must take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. Because if you want to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. You will find yourself living less than what Christ has for you. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, you will find it. You will find that the Christian life stops being hollow and brittle and pale and compartmentalized and you will find yourself living in the wonder of God's kingdom which is available every single moment of every single day. It won't be perfect. You will suffer. You will have to make choices that inconvenience you but it will feel worth it every single time because you'll have the thing that matters most. So would you stand for me? New Spring Church, all across every single location, we're going to respond. And listen, I'm going to lead us in response. But if God is right now speaking to you, I want you to do whatever he tells you to do. Some of you might need to come and kneel at the front of the stage. You might need to kneel where you are. You might need to get out and just take a moment just to soak in the realities that God is inviting you into an everyday relationship with him. He's shattering religious concepts right now. He's breaking old paradigms. Behold, he's doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you see it? Do you sense it? What is God saying to you? And what on earth are you going to do about it? 
And if you feel the Spirit of God starting to speak to you and saying, that kind of life, I want it. I'm going to burn my ship. I'm in. I just invite you to say yes to that. To say yes to that in your own heart, and your own mind. And then to do something with that. It might need to be a posture that you take in worship right now. It might need to be a conversation you have with your spouse before you kind of walk yourself back out of that reality. You might need to turn to them and say, we're going all in, in a new way. Your campus pastors, leaders across the state are going to come out and give you opportunities and expressions. You might have to take them. Tomorrow morning, you might need to join the Bible recap with us and just start reading God's word and ask him to speak. But listen, let's pray right now and ask the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. So Father, in the name of Jesus, Would you awaken the realities of a fully surrendered life all across New Spring Church right now? God, some of us know exactly what we need to do. Give us the courage to do it. And God, we say yes to you in this moment. Some of us have absolutely no idea what to do in this moment, but we know that we just want to say yes. And God, a heart that says yes to you, you're all in for. So God, awaken in your people this morning a hunger and a desire for you. God, we want you. We want to be a people that are marked by your presence. God, we want you to transform our inner world. Make us more like the Son, Jesus Christ. God, thank you that's our inheritance because of what he did for us at the cross. And then God, only after you've been with us, only after you've marked us, only after you've transformed us, only after we have a touch from heaven, send us out. Make us a kingdom people that everywhere the feet of our, the soles of our feet tread, God, you would give that place to us as our inheritance, that you would give Charleston, you would give Columbia, you would give Lake Wiley, and God, you would even give everyone everywhere to us as our inheritance this morning. Not for our name. Not so that the new name of New Spring Church would be made great. But so that people might know that Jesus Christ is worth everything. So God, we love you. We receive God the fire of the Holy Spirit, his power, his presence to start in us a journey of following him every single day. God, unlock ears to hear, make hearts softer than they've ever been. We love you. Thank you for your word, God. We wait, we respond, we sing, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.